Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to all of the moms who are in the room. If you have not already heard it today, just know we are grateful for who you are, we are grateful for what you do, and we are grateful for the incredible, wonderful, beautiful calling that God has placed on your life. Now, in connection with Mother's Day today, we are addressing the topic of the beauty of motherhood as we step back into our series entitled Equipped. Now, if you are new to Sherwood or if you're not familiar with the series, let me give a couple of thoughts in order to help you know what is happening. Uh, We started this series back in 2021, and it easily could be a 15 to 20-year project that we are working on. And the reason for that is we are attempting to address and, Lord willing, reverse some disturbing trends that are happening within culture and also some that are happening within the church. And what we're doing is we're focusing on how do you equip believers for every different stage of life. And every year I will probably add another four to six messages into this series. Now, while most message series will have a single focus, like maybe love or forgiveness or patience or something to that effect, this is a multi-focus series that has a unifying concept bringing everything together, and that is discipleship that happens within the home. Based on what we find in Scripture, discipleship is primarily to happen at home. So this is going to be a series that we're talking about building godly marriages for stable homes and training children to know Jesus in the home and setting a Christ-like example at your home and living on mission from your home. All of this is about discipleship, that happens within the home. One of the best passages that you could look at would be in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine, where it tells parents and grandparents that they are to pass on the truths of God to your kids as well as to your grandkids. That is what scripture teaches. Now here's the issue. Unfortunately, that is not happening as much in the church as what we would like to see. There are alarming numbers of high school graduating Christian seniors who once they leave their family, leave their church home, go to college, they never step back in church again. We find that Christian marriages are struggling. We find that parents are wrestling with how do I transfer my faith to the next generation? We we see across the board that the vision, the ideals of a Christian-based home is being forgotten in many parts of our country. So the issue is we've got a lot of work to do in this. This is something that literally inside of one generation, we are that close to the church as we know it ceasing to exist. Now, these trends did not start overnight, and they're not going to be corrected overnight. But if we want the trends to be different 20 years from now, we got to do the hard work today. We have to dig in and focus on these things today. So this is my prayer. This is what I've been asking people to pray as we work through these messages. I'm praying first that God uses the messages to strengthen and establish families right now, in this moment, right now. But also praying that God will use these messages in this time as a resource for future generations that they might be strengthened from the very beginning. That's what I'm praying God is going to do. Now, as I've shared throughout the series, I've also shared some of these thoughts on some of our worldview nights. The dynamics of the church as we know it are shifting rapidly. What I mean by that 
is inside of the next 15 years, many of those young families you will see will be first-generation believers. That means they did not have Christian parents. They did not have Christian grandparents. If they enter the church at all, they will be first-generation believers that they have not seen God's design, God's plan for what the Christian home is supposed to look like. Many of those who come in, they didn't grow up in a Christian home. They've not seen biblical roles modeled within the home. They will not know what that home is supposed to look like unless somebody takes the time to train and to teach them. The other part of that is even if they grew up in the church, it doesn't guarantee that they grew up in stable homes with godly leadership and marriages that are strong in an, in an environment that easily begins to transfer the faith to one generation to the next. The question becomes, how will they create what they've never seen modeled? We have to address these things now. We have to make sure that this generation knows the truths of God's word. So in this series, we're learning how do you walk faithfully with God when you're single, when you're married, if you're divorced, or if you're widowed. We're going to see what God says about how it is that families are to operate. We're going to understand the beauty that comes with marriage and the blessing that comes with singleness. We're going to see what God requires of parents. We're going to see how it is that Scripture teaches men to lead spiritually within the home. You're going to learn how to disciple your kids through the transitions of childhood to teenage years to young adulthood. We're going to work through developing a discipleship plan for your family. We're going to teach people how it is that they can better equip their families to move away from the cultural pressures that are pressing them and, and hammering them to go in an opposite direction. So for the next seven weeks, here's what we're going to get into. We're going to cover motherhood, fatherhood, singleness, a topic that is rarely addressed within the church right now. And by the way, when it comes to singleness, we're going to talk about the blessing of singleness. And another message, we're going to talk about how do you pray for your future spouse. If you've got young kids, if you've got teenage kids, if you've got 20-somethings, you want your kids to be in for this. You want them to, how do you pray specifically for that future mate? And then we're going to finish the series and we're going to talk about single parenting. Again, a topic that is not addressed much within the church. We have a lot to cover. So because of the fact that these are topics that are not addressed as much, there are alarming trends that are all around us, we are going to take our time. That's the reason I'm only doing four to six per year. I, I want the truths of each of the messages to sink in. Let's give a year to work them out, and we're going to come back and provide some other ones. Every one of the topics that we're addressing is going to focus on the family. Every one of those topics is going to impact the church. And listen, every one of these topics is under attack within our current culture. All of them. In an effort to erase or to redefine or to completely eliminate God's design, words like mom, dad, wife, husband, him, her, single, married, family, those words are now being viewed as archaic and oppressive and misogynistic. All of these topics right now are being redefined by culture and many times redefined by sin. 
more and more when people are addressing these topics from pulpits and when they're addressing them in the public square, you're finding more and more examples of areas where people are being arrested, where they are facing censorship, and where they're incurring fines for teaching biblical design for the family. That is happening in Canada. It's happening in Great Britain. It's happening in much of Europe. And if you pay attention to the news, it is now starting to happen right here in the U.S. Here's the reason I'm sounding an alarm on this. The church has to be loving, but the church also has to be clear. We cannot be asleep at the wheel in this area. In fact, we cannot act as though there is plenty of time for the church to get our act together. There is not plenty of time. Every passing day, there is this godless ideology that is perpetuated by culture that is now influencing and creeping into the local church. Here the thing is, we have to speak truth, we have to live truth. We need to transfer truth but here it is, we first have to know truth. We gotta spend time in God's word. I invite you today, go with me in your Bibles, the book of Proverbs chapter number 31. Proverbs 31, we will simply be in one verse, verse number 28. I'm speaking this morning on the beauty of motherhood. Beauty of motherhood. We're gonna read the passage, we're gonna pray, we're gonna jump into a lot of incredible pieces that God has in the word. Here's what the text says. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask right now that your spirit guide us into truth. May our hearts and minds be captivated by your word and change because of what the Spirit is doing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So from the very beginning of this message, I want to recognize the fact that different people enter into Mother's Day from a different perspective. There are some families that today is a full day of celebration with moms and grandmas and aunts and everybody's getting together and it's a wonderful experience. And then there are others who they approach Mother's Day and there's hurt in their heart. Sometimes they grew up in homes that there was not that stable godly mom. And when they think about Mother's Day, it, it hurts. Sometimes people are going through Mother's Day and it's their first Mother's Day without their mom on the side of heaven. And there's an emptiness that they feel. There's other times that people are going through Mother's Day and they have prayed and they have begged God for years. God, would you please give me a child? And God has not yet given them that child. So different people approach Mother's Day from a different perspective. And we need to recognize that. We need to know everybody is not in celebration mode. Sometimes people are in mourning mode. But it doesn't take away from the fact that Scripture speaks about the beauty of motherhood and we need to encourage and we need to equip moms to be everything God has called them to be. The Bible never says every woman is to be a mother. It doesn't. But what you do find is those in whom God has blessed to be a mom, the Bible is very clear. They are to take that responsibility seriously. When we read about the mom over in Proverbs 31, she is one who inspires praise from within her household. 
That's interesting. Those who know her the best are the ones who are blessing and praising her. It's her kids. It's her husband. Her work, her prudence, her desire to create this nurturing environment for her family, it is being noticed and recognized. The passage is also one that reminds husbands as well as children of the importance of giving encouragement, of saying thank you, and of appreciating the hard work and the sacrifice that godly moms are making. This is one of those reasons why this text stands out. Now, there is this ongoing joke that happens with churches and Mother's Day, and that is you could show up on pretty much any given Mother's Day, regardless of the year, regardless of the denomination, regardless of the church, and chances are the pastor's going to be preaching from Proverbs chapter 31. And the reason for that is very simple. There's a number of passages in Scripture that give instruction on how to be godly dads. Very little information is specifically given on how to be a godly mom. It doesn't mean Scripture is silent. It simply means we pull from multiple texts throughout the Bible in order to give a more full understanding of what it looks like to be a godly mom. Now, in this, the word mother, the word mom in Hebrew as well as in Greek, it simply means mother. Don't you love it when the word actually means what you think it means? I like it that way too. Now, each of the different languages emphasize a different part of motherhood connected back to birth. So, in Hebrew, it adds parting, point of departure, or division. In Greek, we find source of something. So, birth is a point of departure. When a child is born, the mother is the source. There is a parting. There is a dividing between the mom and the child. A mother is one who gives life. And this is more than about just physical birth. It's also about quality of life. I've used this illustration over the years that uh, when we were out in Vegas, one of the things that would happen is every year, usually in the fall of the year, Bria would spend a few days up in Ohio with her family and I would stay with the girls. And I, I know how to cook, I know how to clean, I know how to make sure they get to school on time. Like, we could do all of those things. But here's what would happen. I would come in in the evening, we'd sit down for the meal, and I would say, how was your day? Fine. Anything happen today? No. Bria could ask the same questions, and the conversation just comes. Here, here's the thing. There is a quality of life that God has specifically gifted in moms to bring for the nurturing of that family. And when it's there, you know it. When it's not there, like me, you know it. It, it makes for some long dinners. So mothers have this unique role of being in their child's life, but also shaping the dynamics of the family. Mothers will carry that child through pregnancy, and there is a depth of relationship that even the father does not experience. Mothers are going to be those who care for their child during infancy and provide a nurturing environment for that child to grow in the home. Moms are often the primary caregivers of their children, especially in the early and the formative years. And this relationship between moms and children, it doesn't end when they go to school. It doesn't end when they graduate from college. And for that matter, it really doesn't even end one day down the road when they get married. There is this relationship that goes all the way through death. There was a recent article, 2019, in The Atlantic, 
And the name of the article was entitled, What People Actually Say Before They Die. And one of the people who was being interviewed is a hospice nurse from Germany, years of experience being with people when they are in those final moments just before death. And listen to the quote that she gave. She said, almost everyone at some point in their final breath is calling for mommy or mama, end of quote. It's a phenomenon that has been noticed by doctors, by nurses, by chaplains, by pastors, by family members who were spending those last few moments with somebody before they step into eternity. The words mom, mama, mommy are some of the first words that a child ever learns. These are words of comfort. They're words of familiarity. They're, they're words that calm. They are words that matter. It shouldn't surprise us that some of the final words in a person's mouth, often before death, has something to do with their mom. Even the Gospels give an accordance. They, they share a moment in which on the cross, Jesus is making arrangements. In some of his final words, he is making arrangements for John to care for his mom. John chapter 19. Now, for that matter, the very fact that Mary is at the crucifixion also tells you something else about motherhood. Mothers will be with their children in the darkest moments, even when everybody else turns away from them. The bond between a mom and a child is deep. When my mom passed away a number of years ago, my older sister made this statement. Today, I lost my fiercest advocate and defender. And the rest of us knew exactly what she meant. That's who my mom was to us. She was a fierce advocate and defender for her kids, for her grandkids, and for her family. If you needed prayer, you could go to her and she would labor in prayer on your behalf. If you were dealing with a burden, you could share it with her, and she would pick it up as best she knew how to make sure that you knew you were not walking with that alone. If you needed somebody to talk to, if you needed biblical advice, she would stop whatever she was doing in that moment so that you were the most important person she was talking to. She had the ability to not make you feel stupid when even what you said was stupid. That's a gift. That's something that moms can do. Now, many of you could use that same description for your mom. God has perfectly designed the role of motherhood to support the well-being of the child, the stability of the home, and the transference of the faith. Every child needs a godly mom. And the difference between a good mom and a great mom is godliness. That's your difference. Now, just a few moments ago, I was mentioning the fact that on the cross, Jesus is making arrangements for his mom. But there's something else that happened on the cross I want to draw your attention to for just a moment. There is a famous phrase. One of the last phrases Jesus uttered on the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a, a statement that many times looks like it's utter despair, but actually within context, it's one that brings about ultimate hope. It, it comes from Psalm chapter 22, and it's a psalm in which it begins, verse number one, with this phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this is what it says in verses nine through 11. Yet you, speaking of God, you are he who took me from the womb. 
You made me to trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. And then it goes further in verses 16 through 19. And it says, they pierce my hands and my feet. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Psalm 22 is widely recognized as a prophetic song that is describing Jesus' crucifixion. And he is quoting part of Psalm 22 as he is on the cross. Think about that for just a moment. In this moment on the cross, Psalm 22 is what's going through his mind. He is quoting from Psalm 22. That is, after Jesus has been tried, after he has been condemned, after he has been beaten, after he has been nailed to the cross, after he was spit upon and mocked and forsaken by his friends, he is quoting part of this psalm in which it speaks of trusting the Father by being with his mother. The middle section of that psalm, he basically says, you taught me to trust you because you placed me with her. Do you see the power of motherhood, the beauty of motherhood? Many of those great moments that we find in Scripture are those in which God has placed a godly mom in the right place at the right time. Even in the cross, the scene of the cross, Mary's presence is a reminder of God's faithfulness and his loving kindness. From his physical birth, he was loved and cared for. And at his physical death, he still loved and cared for. The beauty of motherhood is seen throughout Scripture. So I want to take a few moments right now, and I want us to ask this question. The rest of the the passage is going to go very quickly. That is, what are some attributes of godly mothers? What are some pieces that... Those who aspire to be a godly mom, they can look at and say, what does Scripture have to say specifically to me? The first of these two attributes that we're going to get to are attributes that describe how God cares for us, but it's through the lens of motherhood. So a godly mom will comfort her children. Isaiah 66, verse 13, it says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. A godly mom will gather and protect her children. Uh, Jesus mentions over in Luke 13, 34, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. It's a passage about protection and about covering and, and caring for children. The next one, a godly mother will love and nurture her children. Titus chapter 2, it speaks of older women mentoring younger women and teaching them to love their husbands and love their children. The phrase there for love your children is a phrase that speaks of caring for your children, nurturing children, affectionately embracing them, meeting their needs, and tenderly befriending each one as a precious gift from God. Godly mothers will regularly teach their children. One of the best passages there, Deuteronomy 6. This is one for both parents, but it absolutely includes moms, that they are to teach the ways of God morning, noon, and night. You're to do it when they rise up and when they go to sleep, when you're going out and when you're coming back in. There's to be this ongoing teaching. 
Also, godly mothers will faithfully train their children. Proverbs 22, 6. Again, this is for parents as a whole. But train up a child in the way he would go. Even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Moms, one of the greatest resources you can ever read on motherhood is the book of Proverbs. Read, highlight every section that speaks to moms and parenting. The next one is godly mothers consistently and lovingly discipline their children. The book of Proverbs, it's filled with practical teaching on discipline and instruction on how it is that you can train your children from an early age that they might fear the Lord. Moms, read the book of Proverbs. The next one is godly moms model integrity before their children. I've made this statement many times before. You teach what you know, you reproduce who you are. They need to see integrity being lived from both parents, not just moms. The next one is godly moms display sincere faith before their children. Now again, this should be for both parents, but specifically over in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, it mentions Timothy's mom as well as his grandmother. It says they're both sincere women of faith. Moms, teach your children what it looks like to walk by faith with Jesus. Teach them what it looks like to pray in faith. Teach them what it looks like to hold God's word as the answer for life and walk in faith with that. Godly moms, have sincere faith. Your children are watching. The next one is godly moms diligently pray for their children. Uh, Now more than ever, we need moms and dads who will diligently and fervently and specifically pray for their kids. It takes supernatural wisdom to raise godly children in a culture trying every way possible to take them away from God. Pray for your kids. Pray for them like their lives depend on it because many times it does. The late Evie Hill, often referred to as Ed by those closest to him, he pastored Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. And he shared how mama's love and mama's prayer changed his life. Back during the Depression, Ed's biological mom didn't have enough food to be able to feed all five kids. So she sent Ed at the age of four to go live with a friend of hers in this little tiny town called Sweet Home. At the age of four, Ed goes to live with this other lady. But this other lady treated him like a son. He called her mama. And in that home, he watched as mama prayed over them, as mama would care for their needs, as mama would share what it looked like to walk with Jesus, as as mama who had virtually nothing would sacrifice to make sure those kids had something to eat. It was such an incredible godly example that was given to Ed. She took Ed one day to the bus station after he graduated high school. She wanted him to go to college. And she gave him a bus ticket, and $5. And she said, go on off to college. Mama's praying for you. When he arrived at the campus, he had $1.90 left in his pocket. He stood in line to register for classes, and there was a sign that said, $80 cash to enroll in classes. And he stood in line, he's like, I got $1.90. But he could hear Mama say, I'll be praying for you. Listen to his words of what happened next. I got in line. The devil said, get out of line. 
but I heard mama say, I'll be praying for you. I stood in line on mama's prayer. Soon there was another student ahead of me, and I began to get nervous, but I stayed in line. The other student got all of her stuff taken care of, and it was now me in line. About that time, Dr. Drew touched me on the shoulder. He said, are you Ed Hill? I said, yes. Are you Ed Hill from Sweet Home? I said, yes. He said, have you paid yet? I said, no. Dr. Drew said, we've been looking for you all morning. We have a four-year scholarship that will pay for your room and board and your tuition and give you $30 a month for spending money. When he said it, Evie Hill said, all I could hear is mama say, I'll be praying for you. Godly moms, keep praying for your kids. Keep interceding on their behalf. There is a God who hears. There is a God who knows. And there is a God who answers the prayers of his people. Keep on praying. Many of us today are living lives in which we enjoy the blessings of godly moms who were in prayer 20, 30, 40 years ago on our behalf. Moms, keep praying. Your children need it. I was thinking this morning about the fact that there's a point in my life where my mom would do the same thing about prayer about every time I saw her. The first time I really remember it, it was when we were called to our first church in North Carolina, and I'd been there about three weeks, and my parents showed up that morning in order to come and support us. And my parents were meeting different people within the church, and there was somebody who was on the pulpit search committee that came up to my mom and just said, we are so excited that God has called Paul to be here at this church. And my mom, with a smile on her face, said, I'm glad he's here, but just know I'm praying God will bring him back home to Georgia. <laughs> that was like week three. And I was like, well, it's going to be a good three weeks of being here at this church. And she would pray. And when God called us to Las Vegas, my parents were very clear. They said, you need to follow the call of God on your life. We will pray for you. We will support you. But we're praying there's going to be a day down the road. God calls you back to Georgia. So then my parents would come out and visit with us. And they're meeting all the people up in the church. And she would smile and say, I'm praying God brings him home to Georgia. I'm praying God brings him home to Georgia. And a lot of times I'm over here thinking, Lord, just help it go in one ear and out the other. Like, let, let, let people please not get mad at this. Let them know this is a mom who loves their kids and just wants her son home. But then my mom got a little bit more strategic in how she prayed. She would begin to send stuff to us about Georgia. So, for example, in 2017, for my birthday, she gave the Georgia Gardener's Guide for my birthday, 2017. It's right in the front cover. Christmas, 2017. Georgia in gardening right here. It, it was piece after piece she would keep sending. And all along the way, she would keep saying, I'm praying one day God calls you back to Georgia. I'm out in my yard a lot of times 
just working in the garden. And I just sit there and I think, God, you have a very funny way of how you answer prayers. Here's my point. Moms, sometimes you might not be alive when God answers that prayer you've been bringing up for your children. But you keep praying. You keep, there is no expiration date on prayer. And God has a way of reaching out into eternity future and answering the prayers of godly moms who have been on their knees for their family. Keep praying for your kids. Here's the final piece. A godly mother will know when to release her children. Godly moms know there is a time to let go. It doesn't mean you stop loving your child. It doesn't mean you don't care for your child, pray for your child, all of those different things. It does mean that there's a time for your child to grow up when they start a family of their own that the hands have to come off and you have to trust that what you have instilled, how you have prayed, how you have trained, that God is going to use that for their future. You move from being the chief instructor to the chief supporter and encourager. Without that transition, there's going to be a hard time for your kids down the road. So here's just a couple of final thoughts as far as the beauty of motherhood as we close. Charles Spurgeon said, you are as much serving God and looking after your own children and training them in God's fear and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. Billy Graham said, only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother in molding the character of her children. Elizabeth George said, what is a godly mother? A godly mother is one who loves the Lord, her God, with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then passionately, consistently, and unrelentingly teaches her children to do the same. End of quote. The difference between a good mom and a great mom is godliness. If you have not already had an opportunity to thank your mom today, take it. Bless her. Encourage her. Listen, pray for her. There's a lot of burden that moms are walking with. Pray for them. But praise God when he blesses you with a godly mom. Praise God for the legacy that that is going to leave. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow for prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. As I said, I recognize that different, different people are processing Mother's Day from different perspectives. It's my prayer that you find encouragement and what the Word of God has to say about motherhood. It's my prayer that the moms who are in the room right now, that God almost writes you a special love letter today that is just encouragement to the deepest part of your heart. We need you to be all that God has made you to be. But as we close, I'm also, I want to pray specifically right now for some ladies in the church, ladies who are watching online, that they've been praying that God would bless them to be a mom. I want to pray over them. 
I want to pray for those right now who are hurting because they didn't see that biblical model before them. That's one of the things that the church is designed to be. It should be a biblical community that even when all the pieces of our life maybe were not lived out in the best way possible, you can still look around you and say, I can still see what that looks like because of the way God is living through others. So I just want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to open up just a time of invitation, final song. But I just want to pray right now. I'm going to ask before we pray if pastors and some of the pastor's wives would kind of find a place up at the front so that you're ready in just a moment whenever we have this final song of invitation. Let's pray right now for moms. Heavenly Father, we ask right now that, Lord, you would first encourage the moms who are in this room. Just encourage them, Lord, today on their role, on their value, on the beauty of motherhood, on the way that you have so uniquely and carefully and perfectly designed their roles to provide stability in the home, nurturing for the children, and a transference of the faith to the next generation. God, encourage those moms. Right now, Lord, there are those who are in the room. There are some right now that are watching online. They have been praying that you would bless them with being able to have a child of their own. Lord, I pray right now, would you answer those prayers? Would you bless with children? Would you allow them to experience that in accordance with your will? God, we pray your blessing there. For those today that they're walking through maybe this first Mother's Day and their mom is not here, God, encourage them. Lord, would you fill their mind with incredible memories, beautiful memories of those moments with their mom. Lord, for those who they didn't have that godly mom as a role model before them, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and help them to see all around them other moms who want to love and support and encourage them. God, thank you for the way you designed the family and biblical community. Lord, may we appreciate what it is that you do. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.